Hi everyone, welcome back to Partial Lab. I'm Daniel Lowenstein, one of the writers here at Olive Beta. And I'm Ami Silver, another writer at Olive Beta. And before we get started, we just want to remind everyone, you know the drill, please subscribe. If you're already subscribed, please rate us with five stars. It helps other people find the podcast too. And now let's get on with it. This week, we're going to be talking about Parsha's Hazinu. Before we get into the text of the Parsha, what would, what would you say your um, your gut reading of the Parsha is from like negative five being really, really horrible, terrifying downer Parsha to like positive five, fluffy, rainbows, happy Parsha? Um, if I'm judging it on, on a scale of negative and doomsday, I would say minus 10, actually. Oh, yeah. Why, why is that? Well, Hazinu has a pretty harrowing description of what's going to happen to the children of Israel in the future, in the time to come. And and as much as it's, you know, seems to be part of Moshe's swan song, so to speak, it doesn't leave us feeling all that hopeful. You know, I mean, that's a good point. It's a little funny sometimes to think about how a lot of these sections we get at the end of the Torah, some of them seem positive and some of them also seem kind of negative, prophesying about uh, these futures where we're all going to commit all these terrible sins and turn our backs on God. Definitely not the ending you would hope for in the Torah. Yeah, Daniel. And, you know, even though there might be some redemptive mentions towards the end of Hazinu of some kind of you know, reconciliation of, of God protecting the people or bringing them back. The real main thrust of, of the Parsha here seems to be all these terrors and horrors that, that we're going to experience. So Ami, with that in mind, um, let's let's go to the very beginning of Parsha's Hazinu, when this, this song of doom uh, is first introduced. I really wondered, you know, Daniel, it is a song. I, I wonder what the tune sounds like. <laughs> I, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so do you want to do you want to read um, the first two verses? Sure. Here we go. Um, I'm reading from Dvarim, that's Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 1. Ha'azinu Hear, O heavens, and I shall speak. And may the earth hear the words of my mouth. Help me out with some translation, Daniel. So I think that Ya'arov Kamatar Lekhi and Tizal Katal Imrati are both two phrases that mean that the, the things I'm about to say, these teachings I'm about to offer should, should come down like different kinds of precipitation, like dew, rain, stuff like that. Right. Let my lesson, my lekach, I suppose, befall you like rain. Let my speech drip like dew. Kisi irim alei vivim alei esev. Si'irim, it's like wind, right? So we're, we're going to talk about that, actually. Uh, but what makes you say that? Well, there is this word, ruach se'ara, but that actually is spelled with a samech, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, yeah, like I believe you're wind. correct. And I'm wondering also, si'irim reminds me of hair. And si'irim alei desha, if we're talking about hair uh, upon desha, which is grass. So I wonder if the image here is, is, is grass sort of waving some kind of hair of the earth, if you will. I'm just not sure. There, it's, it's again. We're we're reading biblical poetry. So, so what is this image Moshe is painting for us? Uh, yeah, definitely a a colloquial language barrier between us and the generations many thousands of years ago who would have probably understood Sirim right away. But yeah, the, definitely a couple of different um, uh, images or meanings that one could associate with the word Sirim, and we'll, we're going to talk more about how to figure out what it means through all of those. Okay, and, and we also have this phrase, Kirivivim Ale Esef, like Rivivim upon upon grass. you have uh, any thoughts about that word, Rivivim? 
So Ami, I cheated and I looked at a lot of the commentators uh, on these verses to see what they have to say about this. But at, at first blush, Revivim feels like it comes from the word Rivava, which mm-hmm. in its numerical sense means like 10,000 or just in general means a lot or plentiful. Multitudes, right? Right. So in context, it's talking about rain, so it seemed like it's multitudes of rain. Uh-huh, I see. Multitudes of rain falling on the on the grass, on the fields, if you will. Right. Uh, it's actually a really interesting debate. And Ami, you, you really nailed the two perspectives on the word si'irim that are found in the commentators, um, which was much better than I did in my first read-through. So tip my hat off to you. But one explanation is that si'irim refers to like thin rain, rain that's like hair falling upon desha, which is a thinner kind of grass. And revivim, which are you know thicker, um, heavier rings, ale hmm. asev upon the thicker kind of grass. Okay, that makes sense. And I think some people you know sort of assume that the implication is that you know the the lighter grass gets the lighter rain, which is what it needs, and the the heavier grass gets the heavier rain, which is what it needs. But on the other hand, you also have some people who actually see the word si'irim as sort of like a borrowed version of the word soara, right, with a samach which is not how it's spelled here. Here, the word si'irim, for those of you listeners who don't have a text in front of you, si'irim is spelled the same way you write the word goats, si'irim in Hebrew, which is sin ayin yud reish mem, and the word so'ara, which means a storm, is spelled with a samach ayin reish hey. But a lot of people claim that the words are related and it actually means some sort of a storm or a, a windy rain, which is actually a very different image than the translation that would follow that it's about hair. Just like a thin, mm-hmm. light, gentle rain. If these are the images used for the words that Moshe is sharing with the people, one of the explanations of Sirim sounds like a very harsh speech he's giving, and the other sounds like a very, a very gentle and soft one. I also wonder if there's some kind of way to read the two parts of this verse in parallel that rain is heavy, dew is light. And maybe Si'irim is heavy and Revivim are light. That might be part of what's behind the perspective of those commentators. Ami, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, actually most of the commentators assume that Revivim would be the heavier rains and Si'irim would be the, the lighter rains. And that would throw your parallel off a little bit. But there is one uh, commentator, uh, Rafsad Yagon, who actually claims that Si'irim are heavy and Revivim are light. And maybe he's basing it off of the parallel that you're mentioning now. Mm-hmm. Either way, what I think is really interesting is this is, you know, Moshe's basically opening line of this speech, right? Where he's he's sort of saying that he hopes that his words come down like rain or dew as different kinds of rain upon grass. So what does that mean? What What is he saying that he hopes for here? My, my first association is that rain upon grass is, is nourishing, is sustaining, watering the grass, so to speak. Right. So I think that that's definitely the, the first image that jumps out at you when you think about, you know, rain upon the ground. Um, and I think what's really interesting is the way that sort of colors the rest of the speech. Because remember, we spoke in the beginning about how this really feels like a song of doom, right? Mm-hmm. And yet Moshe is opening his speech by saying that I really hope that my words are nourishing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And if that's what it means, then that sort of gives us a whole different perspective on what this song would be about. Mm-hmm. That's interesting how he's framing the speech. It, it's not what we'd expect. Right. But Ami, what's interesting is that if you think about the, the other translation of the word si'irim, if you think about si'irim as the stormy rains, right, uh, as the, the heavy, windy um, precipitation, and pair that with with rivivim as also being heavy rain, so then you could actually get the opposite imagery here. Right. Maybe what Moshe is saying is, you know, I hope that my words come down like a powerful 
robust storm monsoon to sort of overwhelm and flood you and, you know, terrify you. Mm-hmm. And and part of me wonders if there is an ambiguity here in the word Si'irim, if maybe deliberately somehow there is the ability to read it both ways because this song can sound like two different things depending on how you approach it. Okay, Daniel. Well, you've got me intrigued. I'm really curious to see where you're going to go with this. Okay, cool. So, Ami, the word Si'irim, I mentioned before, also means goats. And for those listeners out there who are... uh, very loyal fans of Rabbi Foreman, they already know that goats have a sort of very prominent role in a few different stories in the Torah. But um, for those listeners who may not know that or may need a refresher, the word Seirim is actually a pretty loaded word in the Torah. And it, it shows up in a lot of very seminal stories. Ami, um, do you remember any of the stories that it shows up in? So what comes to mind first is um, the goat skins and, and fleeces that that Yaakov put on when he went to dre- dressing up as Esav, when he went to get the bracha from Yitzchak. Um, I believe that that was a seir that he used. Uh, I think that the brothers also slaughtered a goat, a seir, um, when they wanted to cover up the sale of Joseph and, and dip his coat in blood to show to their father. And the other one that really stands out for me is Yom Kippur, with the, the two seirim, those two goats, where there's a... a a raffle, figure out which one gets sacrificed to God, which one gets sent off to the wilderness. Right. And I think uh, one of the things that Ernie Foreman likes to talk about is that these Seirim, these goats, in, at least in the stories of uh, Jacob stealing the blessings and of the brothers tricking Jacob into thinking that Joseph was dead, is that they're both used deceptively, uh, ways to, to trick people into believing what you want them to believe. Whereas if you contrast that with Yom Kippur, where we actually uh, actively use Sirim as a way to get close to God, atone for our sins, sort of lay ourselves bare. And in Yom Kippur, they're, they're used redemptively as a way to sort of counter the previous uses of Sirim for deception mm-hmm. and evil. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting contrast. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, so Ami, what I'm thinking is really interesting is that sort of stretching all the way from the book of Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy we keep seeing this word seir or you know some variation of it as sometimes positive and sometimes negative depending on how it's used right you can you can use it to deceive or you can use it to lay yourself bare it can be an image of destruction or it can be an image of nurturing mm-hmm. and i wonder if the fact that it's showing up here at the end of the torah is sort of a call to action to pay attention to the theme of Seir in the Torah and then approach Ha'azinu, approach this this song of doom that will tell you all about what would happen if you abandon God and you hear it the right way or you hear it the wrong way. Hmm. You know, Daniel, just one thing that, that comes to mind uh, is that Moshe speaks of Seirim, Aledesha, in, in the plural. There's goats here. And if goats really do have this kind of double-sided nature, I wonder if, if even Moshe's use of the plural is hmm. somehow alludes to That's that. That's so interesting. So, Daniel, just one, one other thing that, that I'm kind of noticing now that you're pointing out these the double-sided goats, right? The goat of deception and the goat of coming clean or, or honesty is that a few verses later here um, in Ha'azinu, starting with verse 4, basically, Moshe's talking about God and says, Hatsur tamim po'alo, which means the rock... All of his actions are tamim, they're, they're whole, they're innocent, they're righteous, so to speak. God, God is clean in his actions. Kikol mishpat, all of his ways are ways that are just and righteous. 
kel emuna ve'en avil tzadik v'yasharhu. God is steadfast with with no iniquities. And then here, tzadik v'yashar, God is straight, God is righteous. So there we have, you know, one side of that that goat equation, the goat of of righteousness. But then look at the next, the very next verse. Shichet lo lo banav mumam dur ikesh uftal tol. These next verses are talking about God's children who are becoming corrupted, a a crooked and and perverse generation. Right. There definitely seems to be this dichotomy being presented of, you know, there's there's straightness and there's crookedness, mm-hmm. the perverse and the, and the iniquitous. And then there's like the, the just and the, and the whole and, and perfect. Right. And that dichotomy seems to be playing out between the way that God is and the way that God's children are. Right. God here is, is presented as, as the righteous and straight one. Whereas the nation are crooked and and perverse, and and then in just the very next verse there, is this how you re- repay God by being so crooked? kanecha, the he's your parent, he's the one who who created you. So so it sounds like Moshe is right away j- diving into diving into this theme of of the crooked one versus the. the straight one of the deceptive one versus the honest one. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, it also reminds me of the fact that um, later on in the Parsha, we're actually also contrasted with this description of God in terms of emunah. Mm-hmm. We're, here we're told, kel emunah ve'in avel, that God is a, you know, a faithful, trustworthy God. And later on in the Parsha, uh, we're accused of lo imun bam, right? which means that our, mm-hmm. our imun from the same root as emunah is, is not there. Uh, and, you know, people uh, discuss what emun means, but, you know, it, it's definitely related to the word emunah that, you know, God is faithful and trustworthy and we turned out not to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that that's a really good point that even beyond the the double meaning of sirim, we, we see the two sides of the sirim playing out as themes in the beginning of the Parsha. Now, I mean, I want to add a wrinkle to this, which is that, you know, you did mention before that there's a sort of pairing of uh, you know, Seir Mali Desha, Vichir Vivimali Asaf, that, you know, there are these, these two images we get of rain falling on grass, which might parallel the beginning of the, the verse also, uh, or might not. Um, we mentioned that based on how you read them, it might, you know, it might either mean light rains on light grass and heavy rains on heavy grass, which is, you know, an appropriate pairing, or it might just mean overwhelming rains, uh, everywhere. Uh, in the more negative reading. What's fascinating is those words, Seirim and Rivivim, paired together actually shows up one parak later in the beginning of Vizot HaBracha, the last part of the Torah. Hmm. Uh, Moshe begins his uh, his great final speech to the children of Israel by talking about the uh, great interaction between God and the people at Sinai. And he opens up by saying, Hashem mi Sinai ba v'zarach me Seir lamo. Uh, he's shown from hmm. Seir. And then Hofia Mehar Paran Asami Rivavos Kodesh. Wow. So there you have wow. Seir and Rivavos, just like Seirim and Rivivim. I mean, I'm not 100% sure what to make of it, but I, I feel there's definitely something going on. These parallels happening so close to each other at the very end of the Torah. That's really wild, Daniel, because the context there in Zodabracha doesn't sound like it. Like it should have anything to do with what with Moshe is speaking about Hazinu, right? Um, Seir here is goat language, but it seems to have to do with, with a geographical location, right? Or, or, or a direction, right? God shined to you from 
Seir, I mean, generally speaking, we think that that means from the land of Seir, from Esav's descendants. But there it is also paired immediately with Revivot Kodesh. So Moshe at least seems to really have a, a theme going on here of Seir and Revava. He's not, he's not letting us know what he means, but uh, it's definitely curious. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it's interesting that you just pointed out, which I, I forgot to mention, that these are both speeches by Moshe, right? Moshe is definitely the one trying to make a point here. I'll be honest, and I'll say that these are very esoteric parts of the Torah, these, these last couple of chapters here. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on 100% uh, or even 50%. But one thing that I, I wonder about is if maybe Moshe is, again, emphasizing that Hashem deals straight with people. Mm-hmm. In other words, what he might be saying is there's the seir that's the soar, that's the storm, and there's the seir that's gentle, like like hair. Mm-hmm. And Hashem yeah. was zarach me seir lama. When Hashem came to interact with us, maybe he came to interact as one seir, as the the gentle hair-like nourishing rain upon us. And then Asamirivos Kodesh, he came with his with his holy host or from his holy host, whatever it is that means. But again, being on the straight and narrow of coming to act favorably and act positively. And maybe there's some sort of, you know, subtle message there that Moshe is saying, you know, Hashem has dealt kindly and straightly and honestly with us, you know, so hearken back to Ha'azinu when you hear those words and remember to choose to hear the song as the, the gentle nourishing words that will remind you that you owe it to God to be straight the way he's been straight with you. Hmm. You know, you know, I'm thinking also, Daniel, as you're speaking about these si'irim, these goats, that there might be an image here too of the Jewish people being God's herd, so to speak. I mean, Moshe, we're saying Moshe specifically is the one who's speaking. Now, we know that Moshe was a shepherd of sheep. But goats and sheep are basically uh, cousins, you know. Um, and I wonder if it's a fitting parable for Moshe to speak about the relationship between him and the Jewish people or even just the personality of the nation as a herd of goats. And either they're going to be faithful, loyal goats to their master or they're going to rebel. And if you think about an image of, of a shepherd and, and a flock, the truth is the flock is completely dependent on the shepherd. The shepherd's merely there to care for them and and make sure that their needs are met. And if they're straying, they're likely to be left vulnerable and compromised. So, so I'm just wondering if this is part of the uh, message Moshe, Moshe is trying to, to communicate here. We are dependent on God. God has been sustaining us, will continue to sustain us. And as much as we stray from God, it's going to be to our own detriment. Hmm. That is really interesting, Ami. I'm, I'm a little skeptical because I think most times we hear about uh, uh, shepherding imagery in the Torah, it's usually paired with tzon, which you, you did mention, mm-hmm. but it's definitely something to think about. So, Ami, I also want to take us to one last place where we find this pairing of uh, rivivim language and si'irim language. Mm-hmm. It's also a pretty esoteric reference. And I'll make one sort of similar suggestion, uh, and you'll tell me if you think I'm I'm just seeing things and making things up, or if there's something there. Okay. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually a pretty well known verse. Um, we say it in the Haggadah on Pesach. It comes from the book of Yechezkel, Ezekiel, chapter sixteen, uh, and in verse seven we find I gave you to grow like plants of the field. 
and you increased and you grew, and you became very beautiful, your breasts grew in, and your hair grew long, and you were naked and bare. The context here is Yechezkel getting ready to chastise the, the nation of Israel for straying from God and doing so by giving a, a sort of historical context. The, the way Yechezkel frames it is that the, the nation was born and was abandoned right away, was left basically uncleaned, covered with blood from the birth process, and no one cared about it. And then God came along and cleaned us up, took care of us, and then caused us to grow in this, uh, in this tremendous way that we're reading about in verse 7. And then uh, a few verses later, Yechezkel talks about how we became enamored with our own beauty to the point where we were sort of flaunting it and showing it off and then sharing it with everybody and, until essentially we devolved into becoming a nation of prostitutes and just giving ourselves to anyone and everyone who wasn't God. Basically saying that, you know, all these gifts and all the ways that we've grown, we took and then we just used for our own selfish purposes and totally forgot about where they came from. So that's kind of interesting, Daniel, because I'm thinking, you know, that description you just summarized in, in the book of Yechezkel doesn't sound so different from some of the themes of Ha'azinu, right? Moshe speaks a lot about the people forgetting forgetting their parent, forgetting where they came from, forgetting their creator. Talks about them abandoning God, um, despite everything God has done for them. Does that sound like there might be some kind of parallel parallel story being told in those two chapters? I definitely think so. I think that the themes are um, not just the themes, but even the narratives are, are basically saying the same thing. And Ami, one thing that I that I think might be an even more subtle connection between these two is that there's nothing inherently bad about this growth that is being described in in Yechezkel, this rivavak that you know you grew into this beautiful woman and sarich tzimeach that your your hair your your seir grew long. Right. If anything, it sounds like a very positive. Right. Exactly. Right. You you grew into this beautiful mature woman, but then the way you used that growth. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been directed towards appreciation of where it came from uh, and in service of the relationship with God, whatever these metaphorical uh, developments of, of beauty mean, or it could be used to then stray from God. Mm-hmm. So so coming back to, to Hazinu, um, I'm thinking of some of the themes that are brought up there. I'm just going to read in the middle of Hazinu, just from verse uh, from verse 15 here where what's being described is all of the delicacies and luxuries and the food, the ways that God has sustained his people. And then it says, What happened with all of that food, all of that goodness that God gave you? Yeshurun, which ironically enough means the straight ones, right? Yeshurun, it's sort of a code name for the people of Israel called here the straight ones. Well, they got fattened and began to kick and rebel against God from all of the goodness he gave them. Shamanta, Avita, Kasita, basically you just became totally overindulgent. Vayitosh Eloha Asahu, Vainabel Tsuri Shuato. You forsook the God who made you. You spurned the rock of your salvation. Then Moshe goes on to describe um, idolatry. Yakni Uhu Bizarim. We you made God jealous or zealous with all these foreign gods, with all of these abominable things, they they made God angry, 
Now, this is these next two verses, Daniel, actually, in my mind, have some kind of Seir relationship. Look at this. You brought offerings to Shedim, to demons, all these non-gods who you did not know. From within, you brought all of these new ones. Again, these kind of like new objects of worship. Look at this word. Lo se'arum avotechem. Your ancestors never sit a room. That's right, Ami. Actually, this is this is one of the places where pretty much everyone agrees that it's from the word soara. Huh. So here too we have soarum again, listeners spelled with a sin, not a samich. But Daniel saying most commentators say this must have to do with creating some kind of storm. Right. And and what they the way they basically translate it is that these are figures that your that your ancestors never feared. Right. They were they never mm-hmm. reacted to them mm-hmm. as they would to a frightening storm. They were never stirred by these fake gods. And then in the very next verse, kind of wrapping up this idea, Tsur Yilad Chateshi. That rock who birthed you, you have neglected. Vatishkach kel mecholeleka. And you forgot the God who formed you. Yeah, I mean, so it really seems to be the same story that Yechazkel is telling in chapter 16. And what's crazy about it is that in the beginning of the story, you have this, this parallel language of Rivava and, Se- and Se'ar. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that same double entendre is going on, that same two possible ways of looking at something is going on, right? That, you know, just like Hazinu, this song of doom really has potential to, to inspire and remind people who God is in their lives and how they should relate to him. And in that sense, it can be nourishing, but if not taken properly, then it can be devastating. So too, you know, the the gifts that we were given as a people, they could be used in one of two ways. They could be used as a way to appreciate God, or they could be used as Vaishman Yushur and Vaivat, that you know we become overindulgent mm-hmm. and we uh we forget God and, and focus on the things that we have. So so again, can't say for sure, can't even say for half sure, because these metaphors and obscure poetic languages make it very difficult to know exactly what's going on. But maybe the parallel between the Rivavot and the Se'ar, between Yechezkel and Hazinu, is again referencing, you know, this importance of, of understanding the potential for the resources you have for good and for bad. So, you know, Daniel, we have been wading our way through kind of thick biblical poetry. But as you keep kind of developing these ideas, part of what strikes me is that if Se'irim and Rivava have something to do with being God's flock, so to speak, right? And and God is basically, what does God do? God provides for us. God gives us way more than anything we could possibly deserve. God gives us so much. Everything we have comes from God. And when we're given everything, like a Seir is given by the one who cares for it, when we become a Rivava, when we grow and develop and become these multitudes, just this huge people who dependent on God, well, there's really two, two things that can happen in that kind of relationship. You can just become a taker and everything you're given, you take for granted and just use it to, to pursue more and more of your own indulgence or you can turn around and face the one who provides for you and and have a true sense of loyalty, gratitude, and appreciation. And that, I think, really is a theme that we see running throughout the Torah, throughout many mitzvot and narratives and stories. Are you remembering your source? Are you remembering your God? Or are you 
basically taking what God has given you and turning your back on it. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the, the themes we're speaking about here are themes that weave through the Torah. Listeners, uh, you know, when you read through this coming year, starting from Bereshit pretty soon, uh, and encounter any more seer, seer-like words, if anything strikes you, please let us know. I mean, one more thing I just wanted to say, uh, you know, a sort of a, a takeaway of this. You know, if you think about Hazinu, this seemingly fire and brimstone type speech as potentially being something nourishing, right? As long as you approach it the right way, mm-hmm. I think that can be a valuable lesson uh, for the season we're getting into now. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, the Torah readings we're going to encounter on uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, a lot of the things we read in the prayers, as well as the speeches we're undoubtedly going to be hearing. I think it's very possible to, you know, sort of take those all with a grain of salt to view them as something that sort of you need to sit through and then you can you know, move on with your life or you can look at them as opportunities, uh, you know, things that can nourish you and help you grow. And I don't know if Moshe is directly challenging us to to take advantage of, you know, those specific things when he maybe is hinting at this, these two ways of looking at Hazinu, but I think it might be a valuable thing to think about. What are the opportunities we have in our lives to view things as, you know, nourishing uh, and formative experiences that we maybe just don't take advantage of? And, you know, and how can that come back to bite us? Because if we don't look at them as nourishing, then they can end up being storms. I really like that idea, Daniel. And um, I'll also just share something that that's kind of occurred to me in this conversation is we get to the end of the Torah and we're basically being told by Moshe, guess what? you're going to not keep this Torah. You're going to basically forget and neglect and abandon this whole book that I'm giving you. And there is, like we said, you know, at the beginning we were saying the the redemptive piece seems to pale in comparison to all of the fire and brimstone that Moshe is describing here. But as we think about this a little more, and and I think especially at this time of year, right, right before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I actually find it a bit comforting that at the end of the Torah we're being told, you're going to leave this Torah. You're not going to keep it. You might go through a lot of tumultuous experiences. And nonetheless, God is still going to to pick you up ultimately. There's something very honest about that as far as our own human frailty. And there's also some kind of promise of holding fast to this relationship to God, despite all of our failures to, to uphold this covenant and keep God's commandments. Ami, this has definitely given me what to think about as I approach this season. Thanks so much, Daniel. This was great. Thank you, Ami. Uh, Listeners, I hope that you felt the same way. As always, please let us know your thoughts. Email us at info at alphita.org. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure to do that. And we will catch you next week. 